Hello everyone and welcome to Arundel Politics in Conversation uh, podcast. I'm Mr Hine. I'm Dr Mackenzie. And I'm Dr Stanley. And today we are going to be looking at some of the things we're working on within the department and specifically uh, retrieval practice and how uh, we are using it in the department and how we think why it's important, how we're making it effective and then we're going to look to hopefully demonstrate that with Dr Stanley and Dr Mackenzie as the guinea pigs. <laughs> so, why are we doing it? Why do we think retrieval practice is important? And I'd say the first key thing as to why we're doing it is because it is the best way to check understanding within our lessons. And I think it's something we take for granted that in lessons that kids are following what needs to be done. I think retrieval practice is the best process we can get into to consistently throughout lessons check actually there is good understanding of topic areas taking place. But of course, I suppose it's not just about retrieving information for its own sake, but directing that content, that uh, retrieval of information um, towards the skills so that we're really embedding their understanding of the content in light of the skills that they're going to require for exams. So, and those skills for us, therefore, in A-level politics, for example, would be their ability to use evidence to be able to explain their position and be able to consistently deliver judgment. So as Dr. McKenzie said, it is not just remembering stuff, but it is being able to retrieve the skills that they will they'll be, be able to use, therefore, in an exam. So I think the main thing we retrieve practice, therefore, why do we do it? Because it's consistently throughout our lessons checking the understanding. Mm. Furthermore, what other reasons do we think as to why? Well, in terms of the sort of the, the, the brain functioning, I guess. Um, forcing people to retrieve information is a signal to the brain that actually that information is important. Uh, so it prioritizes within the various storage systems of the brain, uh, which information is absolutely vital to mm. one's own, you know, to, to, to the course itself, uh, and which perhaps can be can be parked in a, in a sort mm. of deeper recess. So, you know, you, you don't necessarily experience an overload, I guess, as to as to mm. the various um, you know parts of the brain that, that recall information in different different ways. Could, I guess, yeah. So yeah. Because people could challenge yeah. and say, actually, retrieval practice is that necessary in the twenty first century <laughs> when we can look things up almost instantly yeah. all the time. But I suppose in educational settings where we are gearing towards, in this instance, retrieving for yeah. the benefit of exams, mm -hmm. it does retain mm -hmm. its its importance. I think it does. It does, and. I guess were you to ask a pupil to type in a key politics word into Google, uh, you will get a number of different definitions dependent on context as well. So it's very, very important to know the exact contents and the really precise meaning of the words you, you wish to, to try and use as opposed to perhaps, you know, something that's rather more generic. Indeed. Um, I think also it's important that it, the ability, therefore, to help make connections. Mm. So as they retrieve information, um, to make connections between the information they're learning on different parts of the course. And synopticity mm. is a key area. It's an area of A-level politics and A-level... Uh, definitely able history. Mm -hmm. um, I think majority of ADLs their ability to see the big picture and yeah, connect. Exactly. And I think retrieval practice therefore helps to make the brain and the connections, etc. Mm -hmm. So again, I think that's a sort of third reason we might mm -hmm. look to uh, think why it's important we do it. Mm -hmm. I think too as well, embedding retrieval practice in our day-to-day -day teaching and um, the way that we actually 
um, seek to um, help students with developing skills and uh, remembering content. By doing that, it means that we bring constant revision into the course. Absolutely. And it doesn't even, I guess, have to be labelled revision, mm. does it? I mean, if it becomes yeah. second nature, mm. um, then it becomes something that the pupils just understand as mm -hmm. part of every lesson. And it also requires, from the teacher's perspective, quite limited preparation, mm -hmm. Yeah, which mm. is which is an easy win. Um, so I think, I think we're sold on the idea, aren't we? We're sold, therefore we are convinced yeah, that retrieval absolutely. practice is a worthwhile thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, which then lends on to the question, how do we think we can make it effective? Because there's identifying that we think we should do it, and then some of our observations about, therefore, how we think we can make this effective for us as teachers and therefore for the learning environment mm. for the pupils. So, um, from our experiences, what, 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 have we, what have we learned so far then? Where, well, where, where do you start? I think picking up on this idea about making links and connections between concepts, this idea of synapticity, the big picture, something that really helps with that is to vary the types of questions around the same content. So we're not just asking each time, can you remember this set of facts, these statistics, this definition, this terminology, but rather we are approaching the same topic from different uh, angles. Varying the type of questions that we then mm -hmm. ask. Um, we've been doing, we're, we're doing quite a lot of cold calling yeah. in our lessons right now, aren't we? Um, now cold calling, it sort of research would suggest the more cold calling you do, the more comfortable pupils are mm -hmm. getting in volunteering information, mm -hmm. ideas, actually within lessons. Have we, mm -hmm. I mean, I've noticed that in the classes. Yeah, Have you, absolutely. Have you yeah, this has been a really nice benefit, actually, of what we're doing, which is not only does it work in the moment when we're cold calling, but actually you've noticed then throughout the lessons subsequently, in later lessons, some pupils that perhaps have been a bit reticent yeah. to contribute feel much more comfortable voicing their opinions and sharing their views on, on things that we're discussing. Exactly. And it forces pupils to, to think mm. about every question asked. Mm. They will expect to be called upon. Um, you know, it gets maybe the more reticent and the shyer mm. pupils used to volunteering information is, is something that's sort of, you know, socially beneficial as well as perhaps educationally beneficial mm. as well. Okay, so definitely vary the types of questions, the yeah. way we're, we're trying to get information to be recalled to us. Mm. Cold calling we definitely support. Um, couple of key things um, I think to reiterate with this, which is the temptation when you're trying to energize a class and you're doing a lot of questioning to retrieve, is the pace mm. and I think it's very important therefore to allow pupils you've just cold called so to speak mm, actually yeah. time to think and not rush away from that mm. allow that thinking time and then secondly if they get something if they retrieve something that is inaccurate yeah mm -hmm. that we pull them up on that mm. and, and I've been um, I've been doing this sort of cold calling often mid-class mm. so as opposed to waiting to the end of class to purely check the understanding of what yeah. you've covered in that lesson. I've been breaking off mid-class to be checking learning that's been done a week before, a month mm -hmm. before, in the circumstance the opposite, mm -hmm. the year before. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good again to vary that within the class, that you don't just think that you use the first five minutes of one class to try and retrieve something mm -hmm. you did last lesson, or to check the understanding at the end, but to just to drop it in and they get used to that. <clears throat> um, and again, it sort of keeps the pupils on their toes mm -hmm and it encourages this idea of energy and thinking, mm. I think. 
all the time. Absolutely. Um, and, and we are, as we therefore retrieve, as, as we started off with the actual skills, so it's not just about retrieving stuff for the sake of it, mm. that that definitely is now starting to come across in their written work mm -hmm. because they're constantly therefore being able to retrieve information, utilise the skills we're working on, and that the confidence in that orally is definitely having an impact, we think, in written. And a lot of research is being done about the longer you leave it. So for A-levels, if you're... If you're leaving stuff for a year, which they long-term memory, they're going to need to recall. The bigger the gap you leave between retrieving stuff, I think, is very healthy mm -hmm. as well. Okay, so we're very pro retrieval practice, very pro questioning the significance of our first, second, and third wave questioning to retrieve information, the skills. But it doesn't just have to be, you know, retrieval practice isn't just based around questioning, of course. Um, and we have sort of introduced something else in the department, which Dr. McKenzie, you 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 were doing last week, I believe. So, um, yeah, I tried out something called a brain dump last week. Um, gave, um, I did it with both lower six and upper six, and actually on the same topic because I felt it achieved two different things. So we looked at um, the UK constitution. Um, and this is something that lower six looked at um, last term. This is the first topic that I, I look at as part of the UK politics course. And I gave them um, five minutes to throw down everything they could remember about the constitution. And they, some of them bullet pointed, some of them used spider diagrams, whatever worked for them. And they primarily threw down content. But then as we were discussing, they began to engage in terms of, okay, somebody has written down, um, they talked about devolution as a constitutional reform. Somebody else has written down House of Lords. We could then have a discussion about, well, which one is more significant? Um, which reform do you think um, is complete? Do you think there is room for further reform? And we could branch out from just those, um, what would be AO1 um, knowledge of constitutional reforms, thinking more about the AO2, the analysis, why are they significant, and then coming to a judgment about which reform perhaps they felt was the most important. So I did that with lower six. Um, I also did it with upper six because um, they haven't done the UK constitution since a year ago <laughs> so i thought this would be interesting we're talking about leaving it longer yeah. let's see what their retrieval is like and with them i took a slightly different approach which was throw down everything you can remember about the uk constitution but link it with the us constitution let's bring out differences and similarities and that then led them to also bring in those comparative theories so we could talk about for example one student put down um the us constitution is codified the uk constitution is uncodified Somebody else could then add in, well, why is that the case? What explains it? <clears throat> Bring in some of the comparative theories. So looking at the same topic, same idea of the brain dump, but doing it in different ways for different purposes with two year groups. So there is, so yes, you can, I mean, there's so many ways of doing this. You can have a write everything you know about mm -hmm. a certain topic. Mm -hmm. You can very much refine this mm -hmm. to be, I want you to write down the three most significant things you can remember about a Supreme Court, mm -hmm. for example, or in um, English, the three most significant things you can remember about corruption and Hamlet, mm -hmm. whatever that might be. I mean, you can be very yes. precise yeah, then with yeah. what you're asking them to recall. You can give um, the beginning of maybe an exam paragraph. Mm -hmm. The most significant constitutional reform since 1997 was. Mm -hmm. So then they have to argue, demonstrate, come to judgment using their skills and be more precise with actually a paragraph. There's a number of different ways that you can build this into, again, work on those key skills, of recall retrieval but then directed to what knowledge have you got 
how are you using that knowledge, what's your verdict, what's your judgment all the time. And this could be applicable, obviously we're talking with politics and history based, but this could be used in any, I mean, multiple choice. Mm. You, you don't have to be, you can have multiple choice questions as part of a retrieval practice, for example, economics, that would work very well, GCSE science. And we think this is therefore, we would advocate this as a, we're already Absolutely. seeing the benefits yeah. of this, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I certainly felt that the feedback from the, the pupils was pretty positive as well. They felt that it was a useful tool. And I noticed as well that some of them were, um, uh, so say for example, I'm uh, talking about the constitution here, um, some of them wrote down um, three sources of the constitution, couldn't quite remember the other two, somebody else had written down other sources of the constitution, they then went back and added to their list. And so that then was a useful tool in not just reminding them of the information, but then they can take that away with them and use it for further revision it's, later on. It is. It's a constant, therefore, about it alerts pupils to what their knowledge is like, mm. their ability to retrieve. It also alerts teachers to gaps in understanding. Mm. So often you might think that you have covered mm. a topic. You go back to do that via retrieval practice with either questions or written form and realise actually... Their understanding isn't as you thought it was, and it alerts you to that. And it's alerting you to that, as Dr. Stanley was saying, as you're going along, yes. not being in May as the exam is looming to think actually their understanding of this particular area was weak and that, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I noticed this actually. Um, we touched on the Salisbury Convention, for example, and um, it became apparent that I perhaps hadn't explained fully that the Salisbury Convention really applies to manifesto promises mm. rather than a blanket convention on. Um, the power of the House of Lords and or, or the way the House of Lords works and so we could just take a couple of moments just in that um, part of the lesson just to really clarify that for them so that they went away from that lesson having really confirmed exactly what their understanding of that concept was so it was good um, reflection for me I think about um, my teaching style and um, my ability to convey this information as well. Okay so if we just sort of summarize that then how to make it effective Ensure, therefore, that you vary the types of questioning if you're doing it questioning. Mm -hmm. Allow, therefore, for gaps. Um, leave significant gaps, therefore, if you're trying to recall long-term sort of retention information. Um, allow time for feedback. Mm -hmm. um, allow the time for kids to actually think mm -hmm. around the questions you asked. Use variety, so don't just do questioning. If you also do written forms, and as we talked about, therefore, the brain dumping, the various ways you mm. can do that to make it very generalised or very specific relating to the skills. Mm. Um, and what you could also do if you're going to get more and more excited about doing these sort of <laughs> things is you can actually empower the kids. Yeah. You can actually, therefore, detail the pupils <laughs> in a lesson to take control for six minutes to say, you then take control of the retrieval practice. They can plan the various questions, etc., which will help with their own revision and empowerment <laughs> as well. Mm -hmm. so there's a number of quite interesting things you can do and all about that is what testing understanding, mm -hmm. retrieving information, get the pupils thinking, get them therefore expressing themselves in the way we want. And just something that's um, popped into my head actually as we're talking about that and thinking about the skills is um, I ask them to physically write down rather than type. Obviously those who can use a, a dispensation to use the laptop in the exam use the laptop but um, getting them to use paper and pen is in itself a skill as well because Absolutely. you know they're so used to they're not to using laptops word processing yet in that exam they're going to have to learn that writing technique Absolutely. Again. so right so we 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 chatted about um why we think we it's important to do it and some potential tips um as to how i think we can make it as effective as possible so now um, we're going to, which is probably going to be a bit of a car crash, we're going to demostrate how this can actually work uh, within a classroom. And I remain the teacher for now, but I've got two very, uh, well, 18-year-olds going on, going, 
going on. Mixed ability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly mixed ability. <laughs> yeah. Term, yeah, indeed. Um, and we'll see how then we can potentially use this in a yeah. class with a sort of the range of questions, different sort of questions on the topic of uh, the Constitution. Uh. So, I'm imagining now I'm in an upper sixth class and I've just got two people, so there's one of those nice A-levels which only has two people doing them. Uh, we're in an A-level class uh, with the upper sixth, we're doing the US Constitution, so halfway through the lesson I've decided to say, right, I'm now going to check understanding of stuff they would have covered about a year ago. Uh, so, first one, I'm going to check, therefore, understanding of some terminology, key terminology. So I might, therefore, say cold calling... Um, define entrenched. <laughs> well, I would say that... Oh, you're not, you're not going to ask. <laughs> <well, laughs> oh, I, gotcha. I thought that was, you, that was you giving us time to think. <laughs> it was. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was. We are thinking. We are thinking. We are thinking. So define entrenched. And, I'm, and I, I'm now yeah. pointed, as I would do in a class, I've yeah. pointed at Dr. Stanley. Excellent. Yeah, think, sadly, thinking time doesn't really work well on the radio, does it? But uh, there we go. I'm giving... Notice how I'm giving myself more thinking time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, okay, entrenched. So, entrenched means, uh, in the context of a constitution, uh, something that is, how would I put it, deeply enshrined in law. In other words, it takes more than simply a routine change of legislation to amend that part of a constitution. Mm. I would say. Right. So I would yeah. say, therefore, mm. clear, the pupils yeah. demonstrated clear understanding yeah. of, if recalled, retrieved yeah. back from that was a long term memory, come soaring yeah. forward. He has not just Googled that. No, that is absolutely <laughs> not just Googled that. Right. Define unitary for me, please, Dr. McKenzie. I think I would define unitary as. A political system where power resides at the centre. So we have traditionally described the UK in terms of being a unitary system. Um, power lies at Westminster. We have that principle of parliamentary sovereignty. That Parliament at Westminster is where the power lies. Um, devolution maybe changed that a little bit. We could maybe say we've now got a quasi-federal system. But fundamentally, power still lies at Westminster because, in the words of Rage Against the Machine... Westminster can take the power back. So I would now say to myself, these two have been very well taught. Their ability to <laughs> retrieve, retrieve. But their key terminology, key understanding has been checked, used to like. So that's, that's a pretty basic, therefore, directed question. What is something? Yeah. So now we'd move on, therefore, to more vague cues. So I would say, uh, can you please... Um, Give me what you think is the most significant source of the Constitution, Dr. Stanley. I am going to say authoritative works mm. as a the most significant source of the Constitution. So Dr. Stanley's just come mm. to a judgment, AO3. Yeah. Okay, and my justification for that judgment, which I have to say I don't believe, but I'm going to try <laughs> and play devil's advocate here, um, is that they are immediately accessible to any individuals who would like to scrutinise them in the way that, for example, legislation 
um, does not necessarily exist in one place and is therefore less accessible um, to anybody who might wish to um, to scrutinise it. Now, you know, that as an argument, I would say, is very open to debate, but it is an argument and it is justified. So, retrieved, yeah. he's re retrieved some information, yeah. some knowledge, and therefore has then articulated and explained through AO2 why this is the most significant. Mm -hmm. So, the same area, issues of the Constitution, yeah. mm -hmm. but as opposed to testing understanding of a word, terminology such as entrenched, or what does codified mean, we're now asking, therefore, to pick what he thinks most significant and therefore explain why that is. So moving on from that, I would then go, what do we think is the most significant treaty as a source of the Constitution? Dr. Mackenzie. <laughs> um, this well, is then forcing Dr. Mackenzie yeah. to think, what can she remember as any treaties? Not only that, but therefore, yeah. how would she justify most, mm. therefore, significant? Time to think. Well, I suppose, the most significant treaty, um, certainly if we're thinking about the context of Blair's Labour government since 1997, um, uh, was the Maastricht Treaty, which um, dealt with... Oh, sorry, Mr. So can I... So, so Dr. McKenzie, can you, you've just tried to retrieve information. You're now thinking that Maastricht was passed under Tony Blair. It wasn't, was it? Maastricht was not passed under Tony Blair. So this then gives an opportunity <laughs> yeah. in our retrieval practice yeah to check understanding, and therefore we will pull Dr. McKenzie up and say that actually, and I'll now hopefully it won't be coming from the teacher, it'll be coming from Dr. Stanley, Maastricht was under? Maastricht was under John Major's yeah, government. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Uh, 93, mm -hmm. I think, off the top of my head. There we go. Uh, maybe a year out, but I think it was 93. <laughs> um, but yes, definitely definitely Major's second administration. So yeah. therefore we've, we have yeah. corrected uh, a yeah. misunderstanding. Yeah. We have checked that knowledge and another pupil in the room therefore yeah. has stepped in. Another pupil, <laughs> the ageless Dr. McKenzie. Uh, no, doc, excuse me, the ageless Dr. Stanley. Uh, there we go. So, most significant therefore treaty. Different like questions. What's the most significant? Why do you think it's the most significant? Source of the constitution. All on the air of constitution, yeah. but again, different. And now we're getting into a bit of a three-wave, third-wave sort of question on what we can retrieve. So we'll slip into constitutional change. And okay. again, I will ask, therefore, what do we think is the most sophisticated bit of evidence we can retrieve relating to constitutional change? What is the most significant bit of information we can retrieve relating to constitutional change. And I'll start with Dr. Stanley. <laughs> okay, I am going to go for, under Blair's House of Lords reform, there remained 94 hereditary peers, and when one dies or steps down, they are replaced and they are voted for in a ballot of other hereditary peers, which ironically means that the hereditary peers are the only elected element of the House of Lords. Why then, so pretty basic second wave question to that, why do you think that is the most sophisticated bit of knowledge you can remember? Because there are various parts to it and because it has required me in giving a value in terms of the word sophistication, uh, it has required me to explain 
that a certain type of member of the House of Lords arguably has a greater degree of perhaps democratic legitimacy mm. than another by virtue of actually being voted for, admittedly by a very, very small and privileged franchise. Dr Mackenzie, what date was the Maastricht Treaty? Uh, 1993 or two, we can't quite remember. <laughs> 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 Therefore, come in a check. But if I, can, if I can redeem myself, I think it was actually 92 oh, or 93 years damn it, ago. damn it, yes. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. Why was I thinking 94? Private eye, maybe. Maybe that, was the, maybe that was the year of Maastricht. Maybe it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was. What, else but, do, what else do you remember about 1992? I, I'll tell you what, <laughs> the, most significant, <laughs> the most significant thing that happened in 1992... Did Liverpool win the FA Cup, was it? 2-0 Le against Sunderland? Leeds won the title in 1992. Entrenched, etc. We've yeah. then asked specifically about source of constitution, yeah. but not in a way of like what's the most significant. You've had to articulate and think. Then constitutional, the same. Therefore, Dr. McKen uh, Dr. Stanley, Dr. McKenzie, what would you go for? Constitutional change. Well, I suppose sticking with Dr. Stanley's House of Lords reform, um, the creation of the Supreme Court, um, the 2005 Constitutional Reform Act set up the Supreme Court which created um, a separation of powers between the legislative branch and the judicial branch. Prior to that, it was the House of Lords that was the highest court in the land. Um, the fabulously titled the Appellate Committee of the House of Lords <laughs> was in fact the highest court in the land, which caused problems because of course, House of Lords involved in the legislative process, also involved in making judgments about said laws made from said legislative process. So. I think creation of the Supreme Court, pretty significant change when it comes to the House of Lords anyway. Oh, great. So that then would allow me, as the teacher therefore, a pupil has recalled the significance of the setting up the Supreme Court from their retrieval of what they studied a year ago. Currently therefore in the upper sixth, they might be doing that. So that would then allow me then to retrieve more short-term memory relating mm. to the Supreme mm. Court. So I might then throw a question in such as, what's the most significant Supreme Court ruling of the last 50 years? Well, I suppose what comes to mind for me is Roe v. Wade, 1973. Um, it established the principle that abortion is a constitutional right um, across all of, the United, all of the states in the United States of America. Um, and that, even though perhaps it's been challenged by state rulings, is nonetheless a significant a progressive ruling when it comes to the protection of civil liberties. So what therefore is Dr Mackenzie me forced to do? Dr Mackenzie me forced therefore to connect to uh, what she did last year, to what she's studying this year, to articulate uh, judgment related to what's most significant Supreme Court. Having We were talking about UK, we've linked then to America, and you've had to retrieve that knowledge and therefore give judgments relating to that, which would then allow me within the class to then go down the links of America. So once again, checking that understanding, as opposed to ask about what does entrenched mean, I might ask something such as enumerated powers, define. Enumerated powers then um, would apply to um, Congress as a legislative branch, to the President, to the Supreme Court, um, those powers that the Constitution very explicitly sets out in writing in the respective articles. And that's different from implied powers, 
um, that might be inferred from, for example, the president's role as commander in chief. That maybe implies that he can declare war, when in fact it's an enumerated power of Congress. So what have we done in that last eight minutes? We have gone from what did Dr. Stanley retrieve, his understanding of entrenched yeah. in the UK. Mm. We've then, both of you have then come to judgments about the significance of something related to the UK constitution. You've then, we've then gone over to America. Mm. We've then had to link it with our understanding of America to show those synoptic big picture links. And that has all been done in what, the space of the last eight minutes? Mm. And what has that tested? Your understanding of key mm. terms, different types of questions that mm. we are asking. Mistakes were made, let's not forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Errors of retrieval were made, yeah. which were then the picked up. We've blamed the poor <laughs> questioning of the teacher. And again, the value of doing that on just that topic area, within those lessons, seven, eight minutes, we have therefore retrieved information that was studied a year ago, mm. retrieved something that was studied a month ago, under pressure, in that mm. cold calling, and therefore going away from that lesson, People might be thinking, actually, my understanding of the enumerated powers wasn't as strong as it wanted to be, as Dr. Stanley had a little scared look on his face there <laughs> with what enumerated powers meant. So, so what might he therefore do this evening? Blow the dust off my notes and look up what enumerated powers actually mean and perhaps you know go into some of the various politics resources, pre-chewed perhaps, um, and get some examples of the use of enumerated powers. And perhaps if I were really keen, maybe try and do a past paper exam question to really test yeah, my of course, of, course you of enumerated powers. So what, yeah. And so if Dr. Stanley yeah. didn't do that on his own tonight as a class next yeah. time, week's time, etc., as opposed to do it via questioning, the oral question we've discussed, it could be for the lower sixth, um, right, there you go, there is seven minutes, and I want you therefore to articulate what you think is the most significant constitutional change since 1997. Mm. And they'd have to therefore have come to a verdict, AO3, they would have to recall AO1 information to demonstrate and explain with AO2 why that's more significant than anything else. Testing under pressure their retrieval, but in written form, etc. And we can see how this works in, in your history as well, Dr. We can, Stanley. indeed. Well, you know, many of the skills that are required in politics are absolutely required in history. I mean, they're both essay-based subjects. Uh, they are both subjects in which, you know, AO1, AO2 and AO3 are entirely relevant. You know, you require knowledge, you require explanation, you require evaluation of points. Synopsicity is clearly absolutely vital um, in history because history does not just exist you know, in a fraction of a second. And I think, as I say, to reinforce that this is something that, whether whatever level you are teaching, whatever subject you're teaching, these are practices that should be therefore reinforced. Absolutely. The, the, the waves of questioning how to retrieve, um, the variety of questions that you're sort of using to test, the ways you can do it either in written form or in oral form. Okay, so ho hopefully that mm -hmm. was, um, yeah. hopefully that was useful. Um, for those pupils listening about the Constitution, you've got the experts, therefore, recalling some of the, uh, some of their, retrieving some of their knowledge um, and their analysis and evaluation relating to that. But for those within the teaching profession, maybe you can pick up one or two things that they might find useful in their own. It says it's, it's a big win and it's quite, uh, it requires limited preparation, but it's very, very useful and you'll see the benefits very quickly. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you. I was yeah. Dr. Hine.
No, I wasn't. I was Mr. Hyde. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot who I was. Oh, there we go. There we go. Short-term memory is gone. I, I, I am Mr. Hyde. <laughs> I was and still am Dr. McKenzie. Uh, and I am and hopefully always will be Dr. Stanley. <laughs> there we go. Thanks for listening. <laughs>